Hi. <laughs> Sorry, I got a bit hoarse there. <laughs> Should have just stuck with the one take. Here we go. Hi, I'm Tim Pemberton, and you're listening to the Us People podcast with Savia Rots. and welcome to another episode of the Us People podcast. I'm your host Savvy Rocks and today I'm humbled enough to have Tim who's the managing editor at the BBC Radio in Gloucestershire. Tim how are you? Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm fine thank you. It's really good to talk to you today and to um, enjoy the experience of podcasting. One of my first. <laughs> oh it's your first one. Oh okay. Hopefully it'll I be might a good have one. done one other before but i don't do a lot of them i'm a radio guy you see but hey new world (laughs) no that's fine welcome to the world of podcasting (laughs) perfect so tim the first question i always like to ask everyone is about their background and where they grew up and how their family were towards them when they were growing up so my first question to you tim would be could you tell me a little bit about how you grew up, where you grew up and how that influenced you within your life to be somewhat of who you are today? Well, yeah, uh, I had a really interesting um, childhood and, uh, you know, I was born and brought up in Birmingham. I'm the youngest of 10 children. Um, My late father was a a pretty significant minister in the church. Um, And uh, so it was a fairly strict religious household that I grew up in. Um, People very keen to make sure that they were on the right side of uh, holy. (laughs) So, um, uh, and of course, being the youngest as well, not only did you have the pressure of your mom and dad, you also had the um, the added um, uh, oversight by your brothers and sisters who were very keen to assert their authority too. So it was quite interesting. But um, it was also great growing up in Birmingham, which is uh, quite a a um, multiracial city and um, uh, so you know I was used to going to my church and that's one of the things I'm really grateful for because I grew up in a black majority church and so I was used to seeing um, people like me black people in positions of authority and leadership um, every Sunday through Saturday uh, with the various services. So it was a fairly natural thing. And obviously my dad was um, the leader of the church and I'm so grateful for that um, because not everyone perhaps has that imagery yeah, that's true. and that, that symbolism. So I think that that's helped me uh, in my later life. Um, as I say, being uh, the youngest of 10, I think the others treat you a bit like the, the little runt of the pack. <laughs> So uh, get you to do all sorts of things, all the chores. They they don't do any. They just devolve them down to you, uh, send you out on fool's errands all the time. Um, uh, don't value your opinion. Uh, I know how that my, feels. Yeah. And then um, my the next up from me is my sister, Carol, and she's three years older than me. And then my next brother is five years older than me. Um, and my very eldest brother is 20 years older than me. So there's quite a spread between us. 
And uh, as you can imagine, Carol used to um, sort of dangle in front of me the carrot that if I did the various things that she said, that I might be accepted into her group. It never happened. <laughs> <laughs> but I did loads of foolish things in order to try and curry favour with her. And uh, my brother Charles, um, I was so envious of him because he was just a naturally physically gifted person. He could play pretty much any sport to a very high level. Level. He's brilliant at football and cricket and badminton and basketball and table tennis. He was really good. And uh, trying to beat your older brother and him toying with you is not a good look. <laughs> so, um, no. Um, but it was, it was character forming. And I, as I say, um, I had great fun. And I, I was really pleased that's part of a big family because you find your level within it. And actually, even though you're the, the youngest, seeing those others um, gives you so much confidence yeah. and even though it's the, the thing isn't it even though they like to you know um, treat you as the underling um, anybody else trying to mess with you yeah. they're making clear that you're, you belong to them so that was quite handy <laughs> no that's perfect <laughs> for people who are listening to the podcast today um, could you tell them a little bit about what you do within your role just so that they understand exactly what you do yeah, so managing editors um, run radio stations and, you know, other parts of the business in the BBC as well. So uh, you're at a reasonably senior level um, and running a radio station, I've got a staff, a full-time staff of a, around 34 people, but with the um, other added people who are casuals and freelancers and, and, and so forth, you're running a, a, you know, an operation of around 50 people. Um, and you are responsible for what comes out of the speakers in terms of the content, um, be that our news output or our entertainment output or music output. You're responsible for that. You're responsible for uh, the staffing um, that we have. So all those personnel issues and people, you have to be a really um, uh, focused people person. Uh, and you're also um, responsible for people's training and development. So it's quite a, a big role. Um, and quite a responsible role. When I started um, doing this, uh, my, the first radio station I ran, um, I was uh, in my 30s. So I was one of the youngest people on the station and uh, dealing with a lot of people who'd been in the broadcasting in industry a long time. And actually, it was a rural station. So you had this um, fairly urban fresh you know very sort of confident black guy coming into this very staid and fixed station and um you know with people saying oh my gosh what does this mean now <laughs> you know? um so that was an interesting experience but um i think in my role i always try and um make sure that i'm as professional as possible um and i picked up a, a kind of mantra when I first became an editor because you're very conscious that you're a black person and you're leading and, and so forth. And one of my colleagues, he could see, this was an editor who'd been uh, doing it for some time, he could see that I was you know, taking a lot of time to make sure I did everything absolutely perfectly um and you know taking time in making decisions can be you know almost as bad as not making a decision at all and uh, he said to me uh, tim just remember it's professional it's not personal 
And he was saying the reason why you have to remember it's professional, it's not personal, is because then you'll be able to sleep at night. So when you're making some really tough decisions and all that, as long as your um, modus operandi is that this is professional and I'm treating everybody the same, you'll be able to do the difficult things that sometimes come your way. Um, but you'll also you know, be able to function and have a good night's sleep as well. So I've always tried to do that. How did everything start for you? I know we spoke a little bit about it before where you started, but could you elaborate a bit more on where you started and your story and your journey to where you are now? So I was fascinated with um, broadcasting in general, but radio in particular, because I grew up in a religious household and Bizarrely, um, they looked down very badly on on television. Television was um, a very sinful implement, you know, instrument. It was um, the tool of the devil, but that rule didn't seem to apply to radio, which was fantastic. So, um, and I was growing up at a time when there was only sort of three or four stations, and. Um, so for me, I, you know, radio just let my imagination run loose. You know, there were so many great programs with great comedians, so much great wordplay, you know, really people fantastic with the language. And I was just listening to lots and consuming lots. And because I couldn't um, have television or have access to television without going to my friend's house uh, covertly, um, what I then had to do, uh, I, I, I read lots. I, as a child, I read lots of books and I loved comics as well i read a load of comics um so i think that's what really got me into interest in radio because of the use of language and all these great programs that were quite playful and funny and 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 that was allowed as opposed to television which wasn't and then later on um two of my brothers joined the royal air force and the royal air force has uh, bfbs which is british forces broadcasting service and they got local um shows on those so i you know i went to see my brother um at um RAF, uh, uh, I think it's Cotsford, um, Cosford, RAF Cotsford it was. So I went to see my brother and he was broadcasting on the radio. I was just fascinated by this. I'm in the control room and seeing my brother broadcasting to loads of people on the radio because he loved his music and he loved his gospel music and so forth. And that was just so inspiring that um, it lit a fire in me. And so um, I then tried to get involved. And I did do some stuff for hospital radio in Birmingham, um, which was then at the time based at Edgebaston Cricket Ground. So I volunteered there. And then I volunteered at um, a commercial station, BRMB, um, and also Beacon Radio in Wolverhampton. I used to travel miles to go and see these broadcasters and help them out and do all the menial things like getting records and having to stroke the presenter's ego <laughs> and, and all that so uh, I did that and then when I went to university I got involved in student broadcasting so I had my own show on student radio so that's that was you know me just showing my interest and then when I finished university um, I applied to um, the BBC loads of times okay. and had lots of rejection letters. I mean, ah. I, just, I could paper a wall with the amount of rejection <laughs> letters I had. You know, sorry, not you. Kind of <laughs> um, and uh, I sort of um, decided, well, 
maybe it isn't going to happen and um, applied for a couple of jobs. My first job actually was at an art centre, which was they oh. said I was going to be the, the manager of the centre. Uh, it turned out that they essentially wanted to use me as some sort of glorified bouncer. So <laughs> I lasted at that for a week. But um, I'd applied for at the same time another job with community radio, actually. Um, and uh, I went for that job. It was pirate or a pirate radio station, but they were recruiting. And I didn't get that either. But the people who saw me on that interview said that I'd be perfect for another job. Okay. And I applied for it. And that was a training and development officer for a video production company in Hansworth. And um, I did that for two and a bit years. And while I was doing that and essentially helping other young people to get into the media and to um, broadcasting, um, we, we um, set up a program to send them to college for them to get the qualifications that they needed. And one day, one of the lecturers said to me that there were two positions at the BBC. Um, and I said, great, I'll tell the students. And she said, no, um, they're looking for people like you. Uh, so um, it was a two-year traineeship. I I just got married, had a chat with my wife because it meant a pay cut. And you know, um, uh, but I have to say to everybody, listen to the woman, <laughs> because <laughs> my wife said, uh, you know, take the pay cut. Yeah. Um, Longer-term prospects, this will be good for you. And and that's exactly what I did. I took a pay cut, um, did the traineeship um, based at Pebble Mill, which was the studios there in Birmingham. And then, you know, my BBC career took off from there. So that's how I got into the business. See, it's also thanks to your wife as well for telling you what to do. <laughs> yeah, you say? she reminds me regularly about this, that uh, <laughs> everything that's that happened to me in my life, I owe it to her. And uh, she's fabulous. She really is fabulous. And... Um, and uh, she probably plans more long-term than I do. She okay. thinks more long-term yeah. than I do. Um, I can be a bit of a seat-of-the-pants guy, um, but she's, she's kind of like, no, let's be sensible here. Yeah. Let's look long-term. This is uh, what it may mean for us. No, that's perfect. What does it mean for you to be a leader within broadcasting, and how do you feel like you inspire other people? I'm not sure that I inspire other people, but if, if that's the case, I'm, I'm sure great. I'm sure you do. Yeah, uh, with that, I, I I do have this sense now that um, now that I've had a lot of experience, I've been in broadcasting for over thirty years now, that I have a sort of mission and duty to people who are coming after me, because if I knew uh, when I was younger what I knew now a lot of opportunities wouldn't have passed me by and I might have taken some different decisions. And when I've reflected on it, I think the thing that has stopped me doing um, some of the things I should have done has been that thing about fear, uh, but fear of embarrassment, fear of, um, you know, people laughing at you, uh, fear of failure. And, um, Actually, um, I think sometimes your friends who mean well in your family can add to that sense of fear and foreboding that gets in the way. Whereas now, you know, 30 years on, I realize actually um, you should just go for things, go for it with both hands. Um, you know, just really just know that you can do anything. You can achieve anything. You really can do that. And um, if you if you fall flat on your face, 
it isn't the end of the world because my, my mandate is if you tried it and all of that and it doesn't work out, make sure you've got a great story to tell about why you fell flat yeah, on your face. Because that's valuable too. <laughs> tell everybody about that. Pick yourself up. And actually, you know, you can do anything um, at any stage in your life, but especially if you're young, yeah. you've got loads of time to try something else yeah. or recover and do other things. Whereas um, I think when I was younger, um, Pretty much everybody used to make it feel as if um, it was career and life defining. You know, from your O levels, if you failed your exams, oh my God, your life was over. No, it isn't. That's nonsense. <laughs> you know, if you failed your A levels, oh my God, what a complete disaster. You're toast. No, that's not true. Um, if you if your degree isn't quite what it should be, or you didn't get to the university you should go to, oh, your life is ruined. All of that is nonsense. Actually, um, I, I say that with some conviction and authority yeah. because. Um, um, we have the proof that other people have done amazing things at every stage of their lives when they're teenagers when they're in their 20s their 30s even now I'm in my 50s now people are doing amazing things it's it's just having the courage to um, to just go for it and grasp it really that's no that's perfect I'm so glad that you're saying all this to help people understand that because I'm when I was younger I felt that way too (laughs) <laughs> I felt yeah, like- I mean, you know we're all consumed with fear uh and what people th- i think one of the greatest liberations you can have is not to be afraid of what people think of you it's not that you don't care about people and you don't love them and you don't you know treasure them but worrying about their reaction and letting how they might react dominate your life and your thinking and the paths you take is not good that's debilitating that's really bad i think um you want to be a good person you want to live your best life you want to have integrity but you also need to trust yourself really trust yourself um and and not be um beholden to i'm gonna say something really controversial actually because my mom and dad are so protective of me, but so protective of me. So, um, so when I went to university, um, it rankles a lot with him. Actually, my brother bought me a motorbike. Brilliant thing to do to help me get to and from, um, you know, the campus and to where I was living off campus and all that. Really practical, great thing. And my mom and dad were on my case night and day. They thought it was a death <laughs> trap. They just, they were just, a, they promised me <laughs> the earth. They promised me everything to get rid of that bike because <laughs> they were convinced bad things would follow. So I had that motorbike for about a month, and my bro- my poor old brother who bought it for me, yeah. and and rode it. And if you imagine, I went to university at Lancaster. He rode that bike from Birmingham to Lancaster to give it to me. Oh my god! I had it only for a month because of my parents getting on me because they were terrified and they passed their fear on to me um you know now people ride mopeds and low pad motorbikes all the time um we just allow ourselves to you know it's tragic when it happens when the we hear of the horrific accident we allow that horrific accident story to dominate our thinking uh and 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 you know our outlook but when you think about if you i don't know if you how far you've traveled you go to malaysia or you go to the far east or wherever there are motorbikes mopeds are plenty when i was in africa recently people have loads of motorbikes. so if you multiply the million billions of bikes by the the five or ten horrific accidents that you hear about um you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't use one or get one one of my big regrets not using that motorbike 
similarly, actually, just on a quick note, it's, it's like I had the chance to go and work in Manchester. Uh, and my mom, again, my mom and dad were like, oh, Lord, don't go to Manchester. Gonchester. Don't go to Manchester. <laughs> and, and if you're not careful, you, you deny yourself opportunities because, you know, you have that thinking in you that oh, this could be the worst thing in the world then no actually i'm not going to go there to get myself in any contention or anything yeah. i'm just going to go there and do a job um and don't be dominated by things you read in the press <laughs> what would you say to your younger self if you had a chance to re relive your life again what would you say to your younger self i just think that um Life is precious, life is short, life is exciting, life is huge fun. Uh, there's an opportunity to to do, you know, so much. Um, just, uh, you know, as I say, seize the day, really. Just seize the day and don't waste time, go for it. Um, and I, I, I hang on to that kind of energy, you know, use your energy, use your time well. Um, there's this saying by, it was by an American preacher actually, and he, he had this saying, he says, we are too soon old and too late smart. And what he meant by that is, uh, you think you're young and before you know, you'll be older than you think. <laughs> So yeah, we're too soon old and too late smart is something that we should all think about um, so that you make good use of your time. And and the other thing I would say to people is that, um, uh, th again, it's a, it's a, it's a well-known saying, but I think it's true. The harder you work, the luckier you get. The harder you, you, so we always sometimes we look on on other people and we're envious of them, and we, you know, we wish our life was, you know, we'd had the breaks or, you know, had things fall into our laps like them. We don't know what they've done to achieve that success, and sometimes we don't make the best use of our time. Um, but if you put in the hard yards, you get really good at things, and if you get really good at things, you might find that other opportunities come your way. And so I think it's a commitment to saying, whatever you are good at or what you want to do, you need to put in the hard yards and, and, and just commit to it. I agree with you there. That makes total sense. I was doing my research about you, and when I was reading, it says that um, you were the, you're the executive editor at BBC World Service. We know that, but you've helped uh, BBC Africa team, if I'm correct, with over 300 product, um, projects. Um, which one would you say, if you could choose one, has inspired you the most and why? Yeah, well, I worked at BBC Africa for two years and I was yeah. the executive editor and it was, um, a, you know, I, I probably highlight two times in my life that I loved the most working for the BBC. And one was when I was in Manchester <laughs> and the other uh, was working uh, with the World Service and BBC Africa, which was just, it was just the most fantastic time. I came to realise that um, we have brilliant broadcasters um, uh, working in in the UK um, of African descent, and we've got brilliant broadcasters on the continent of Africa who are just at the top of their game as broadcasters. And we do not hear and we do not see enough of them. And it was part of my mission while I was there at uh, BBC Africa to really try and um, elevate that and raise the profile of those brilliant um, broadcasters. And that's so I, I partnered, for instance, with BBC News at 10 
to um, to um, get some bespoke training for uh, the journalists on that continent and also to make a point of making sure that they were telling the stories about the continent on the television, uh, which is quite a slightly controversial thing. But for me, um, it's always an odd thing to see you go, you know, these reports from around the world in all the different locations, but you come to Africa and it's, it's fronted, you know, you know, with brilliant journalists, but they're, you know, white European journalists fronting that story. And I'm like, well, why does it have to be a white European journalist telling that story when you've got excellence already on the continent? I want to hear from those people who've uh, lived it there and who can communicate equally as well. I think that that is a really good thing to see. There's a lot of authenticity in that. And I'm I'm very keen and I um, uh, advocated very strongly that we should develop that and work at developing that. So we, we use the expertise at our disposal. So I'm very proud of that. Um, I... Uh, uh, did a number of other things there that I was very proud. We took um, the flagship programs Focus on Africa on the road to um, Kampala. Uh, and I thought that that was just fantastic um, to for the audience to have the programs in their midst. It was a very ambitious project um, and was very well received. So that was brilliant. And just being able to travel the continent and to uh, meet with the um, the up and coming new generation of broadcasters, both in a training session, but um, in an advocacy session as well, because the way the BBC gets its material out to um, the people across the African continent is by partnering with local radio stations there, often commercial stations, they carry the BBC's content and just talking and meeting with those people was um, awe-inspiring and I think good for them and good for us. Yeah, most definitely. How do you feel, how important is diversity to you and what value do you think it brings? I think, you know, it's it's interesting that we're living in the time that we are living in. I think people are realising more and more that um, monochrome uh, structures don't really do a service to anybody um, that you miss out on so much. It's not that people aren't good or that people aren't well-meaning or that they they don't um, work hard or contribute. But um, if you are concentrated with only one set of people, one group of people who are, who are running your business, um, running your enterprise, making your content, I think you're missing out on so much. I mean, hugely. And you can have blind spots that you don't realize. And so I think having a range of people working for you a, a really good range of people should give you confidence uh, should add to the mix and should ensure that you have great content and that's what we all want and a rich vein of stories so I mean someone like Shonda Rhimes who I'm sure people know um, with uh, and, and funny enough I didn't really know my wife was the one who was telling me about Shonda Rhimes because um, she got into Grey's Anatomy hugely ages ago she loved Grey's Anatomy um, in fact she's gone off at Shonda a bit because she's killed off all her favourite characters but that's <laughs> another matter but she was telling me about this woman Shonda Rhimes who was this yeah. big you know creator writer uh, of uh, loads of the American American dramas that I liked who happened to be a black woman yeah. and who wrote in a way that was just so inclusive 
totally inclusive, you know, complete range of people for whom their race, their sexuality, their gender was incidental and, and just portrayed life. And when I then read about her backstory, um, she was a minority in a school and she said that she would be writing about the characters because she didn't have this great network of friends. She's a minority in her school. And so she wrote about the characters that she wanted to meet and to hang with and to be around. And that's what made her a great writer. And now everyone watches her shows and thinks it's fantastic. Um, but if it can work, then it can be good for her. And, and as I say, she's got fantastic success. Well, why can't we do that? I think it's a great shame that um, it is a well-told story by a lot of um, black British talent that they, they are overlooked here and then they go to the United States yeah. and they, they are snapped up and they are used and they are developed and their careers, their careers take off. Something's not right there. And that's um, why we need to really just think that actually diversity and inclusion is just like breathing the air that we breathe. Yeah. It's, it's the right thing to do. It's the natural thing to do. And we just need to get on with this. If you could change one thing in the world right now, that you feel is important and that you have a passion with, what one thing would you change in the world to make it better? I think um, I'd give probably a, a twofold answer to that, which is I think um, we have got to have the confidence to have honest conversations with each other. Yeah, I agree with you there. And I think that, well, you know... Um, I always talk, talk to people about friendship. My best friend isn't the person who tells me everything I want to hear. That's a fan. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you need to be clear about you, who, who's your best friend and who's your fan. Yeah. Well, actually, you need more best friends who are people who are so invested in you, who trust you so much, who you trust so much, that they will tell you the things that you want to hear, but also the things you don't want to hear. Um, because you know you are so invested in them and they are invested in you and and in in truth in our heart of hearts we know the people who we should go and talk to when we want to hear the truth and it is the fan the fan is just going to tell you what you want to hear talk to the people who are going to tell you the truth now then you need to have the maturity to be able to handle the truth um, about yourself and this goes into about our relationships but also about our histories or and about the things that we celebrate and the people we celebrate um, we need to have the honest conversations and we may see it differently uh, you know so, um, I say this all the time so some people see disagreements and arguments um, as threatening especially if it's black people they think oh my god they're making too much noise please don't fight <laughs> You know, they they get worried uh, because voices are raised and all that. I grew up in a fairly noisy household yeah, where there were disagreements, too. and I, I'm, yeah. you know, that's life. That's what that's what it, it really is. And I think that some of our, um, you know, our colleagues, our friends, and what have you, have got to just trust us, and we've got to trust them. To yeah. disagreements, okay, you know, um, it's you know that it helps to have deeper understanding, and we should have enough investment in each other. Yeah to know that this will help us moving forward together. If I know you're not having an on, you know, honest conversation with me, yeah. I cannot trust you. That's fair enough. If I have a sense that you know, you're keeping things from me or you're only going to say the things I want to hear, I cannot fully trust you and I cannot fully invest myself in you. I need to know I'm going to talk to you 
you know, straight. You're going to talk to me straight. We disagree, we're going to argue out. Sometimes we'll come to an agreement because we've talked it out. Sometimes we won't come to an agreement, but at least we'll understand where each other stands and we still yeah, carry true. on together. Yeah. You know, we still move forward together because um, I, I said this to people, um, some of the greatest genocides and, and, and stuff in the world, if you imagine those people, you know, maybe in Bosnia or, you know, uh, in Rwanda and all that, people were living side by side with each other for years. And in the blink of an eye, could turn around and hack people, kill people without a second thought. Well, my view is because, um, you know, being alongside people or being a fan doesn't mean to say you have a real deep relationship. And you need to have the depth of that relationship. That means you trust each other, you're invested in each other. So when people come to attack, even if they're members of come to attack, you're the first person to stand up and say, don't be even thinking about attacking that person because they are, you know, my brother, my sister, my Idrin, <laughs> you know, um, you're, you're the first person to stand up and say, no, you're not doing that because you're invested in them. But if you have this false relationship, and this um, false friendship and false fandom, in a blink of an eye, you could turn on somebody because you never really were invested in them in the first place. I know that's a fairly long answer to The other thing is um, just my, you know, young people, passion for, uh, for young people. We just, you know, um, free young people from fear. That's the main thing. Just, yeah. Uh, you know, let young people be young people and be the amazing people that they can be and make sure that what you're doing is laying the track so it's easier for them when they come after you yeah. so that you can uh, see them go stratospheric and you can be applauding that and just being amazed at what they can do. I love that. I wish I had that more when I was younger too. <laughs> um, what is the best book you have ever spent your money on? Oh, uh, oh, no, that's a tricky um, uh, <laughs> one. Um, I'm reading so many things at the minute. Uh, there's a great book that I'm loving at the moment called Fact Factfulness by a guy called Hans uh, Rosling. Factfulness. It's a brilliant book. Um, you know, and especially from somebody who doesn't particularly love numbers and data and all of that, this chap writes brilliantly and tells you why data matters, and he'll make you fall in love with numbers and data. It's it's just absolutely brilliant. Uh, so I'm 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 loving that. Um, my sister um, bought me for Christmas uh, Trevor McDonald's um, autobiography. I didn't think I was going to enjoy the Trevor McDonald uh, autobiography. Actually, I thought mm, it's, yeah, Trevor's a bit staid. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's a bit posh he's a bit posh he's a bit you know and then i started reading it and he's telling you you're real actually it's a it's a good read i i um i've um been enjoying reading that there's another book um called uh creativity inc that i've been reading which is um written by one of the people who was behind um pixar you know the, the movement for animation and and so forth uh, and in, interestingly it starts off about the success of of the animation business but actually it goes into um success in um in uh in sort of organizational design and behavior in organizations so that's a really interesting uh book uh that that's uh been um been uh good to me um I, as i say I, I there are so many books i'm reading i'm trying to think of a 
uh, most of the books I read are nonfiction. They're, you know, straightforward, factual uh, ones. Um, so I was trying to think of one um, that's not a, a sort of a factual one. It's a bit of a, a novel. And I think I'd have to go back to my school days, really. Um, and I did enjoy reading a lot of Anthony Trollope kind of um, novels. And, and I found his writing of characters to be um, very skillfully done and very funny. So I might go, actually the other, yeah. So there's two other books I would say. Um, there is um, the whole Adrian Mole series, which is um, really, really good and, and very um, uh, insightful actually. And there's a, there's a, a sort of um, religious sort of parallel pastiche of it by a guy called Adrian Plass. So if you get a chance to read his um, diary of Adrian Plass, aged, I think it's 33 and a half. Uh, if you come from a religious background or a church background, you will laugh out loud because he <laughs> he draws the pictures of what it's like to be in um, that kind of religious setup brilliantly um i'll just give you one quick anecdote from his book which is why i loved it he talks about um um the team having a sort of prayer meeting stroke bible study uh and he says everybody comes together around and they sit around in the circle and um the leader of the group opens up um the work study and he says now do we think the leper was pleased or not pleased to be healed and he said there's a deafening silence and everybody adopts the shampoo position. Um, and there's, you know, this hush goes around for ages. And then after this long period, somebody uh, pipes, puts up a hand and goes, I think he was pleased. And he goes, yes, yes, that's good. And then somebody else uh, puts up their hand and they go, um, I think he was very pleased. <laughs> you know, yes, yes, so it's, and then he goes, well, I think we'll just leave it there. And then he goes, shall we go for coffee? And he said, suddenly, he says, suddenly, when they go for the coffee, um, suddenly people become human again. They start talking about what's going on in their lives and, uh, you know, what's on their mind, what's been troubling them and all of that. And he then makes the observation, says, God's looking down on this and he's saying, uh, why can't I have some of this coffee break stuff? That's brilliant. I love that. What was that? All that other stuff that was on before. <laughs> and I just think he draws the uh, that kind of, his observation of religiosity and church service and yeah. piety is brilliantly written. So I recommend that to people. Oh, no, that's perfect. If there was one quote that you would pick for yourself that represents you as a person, what quote would you choose and why would you choose that particular quote? Can I have two? Um, oh, you're cheating, but okay, let's go. <laughs> uh, so um, uh, as I say, I grew up in a religious household. So my, my favourite uh, verse is John chapter 10 verse 10 where uh, it says um, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly um, and just the sense of vitality and having life and living life to the full is something I just love from that sense of that verse I love that and I was trying to remember that I've, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly so I love that and the quote uh, there's a Martin Luther King quote that um, I, I write and keep in front of me quite a lot of times. And it says, um, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And I just think that's so deep 
is, you know, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And I think that that is both um, uh, an encouragement, but also a challenge to people. If you are living off the fruits of injustice, um, that isn't going to last. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a challenge that, um, that people should be fighting for justice all the time and not just for your own political and, and personal little group, but, but everywhere you see it in the world, you should align yourself with justice, um, not with injustice. And um, I think it's opposite for this time, actually. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. If you had an unlimited amount of money, so no matter how much money you made, you consistently always made more. What would you change within the broadcasting industry? Uh, well, I work for the BBC, so of course, um, uh, I more money for the BBC, please. Thank you. <laughs> but in, all, in, the, in all seriousness, actually, I think it's an exciting time because just like what you're doing now, podcasting, yeah. what a fantastic thing. Yeah. Uh, and what, a, what a, you know, some people... Uh, old timers in in traditional media are threatened by the advance of online and social media. I think it's one of the best things that's happened to the industry. And I tell you why it's because um, uh, before um, various people were the gatekeepers of who had access to the airwaves and who had access to mass communication. Well, actually now now that you've got social media and podcasting people have found cheap and cheerful ways of getting their message their creativity their content out to big numbers of people um where before they might have pitched it to a commissioner who was having a bad day got out of bed the wrong side and said no well, you know what? Um, commissioners should be worried everywhere else because people have got other routes to the markets and they're doing fantastic things. And now it's the commissioners who are chasing those people, those um, podcasting stars, those internet stars, those social media stars. And and so if I had unlimited amounts of money, I would invest in those people who are new, young, fresh, who um, you know are bringing new things to the table and actually keeping us in tune with what's 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 now what's current what's exciting rather than having to go cap in hand to some crusty old man um who you just um, call him a crusty old man uh, yeah well (laughs) i I could have said worse but it's usually crusty old men who are the gatekeepers of who has access and uh i think uh change is coming it's about time and put your money where the change is yeah no it's true how would you say you push boundaries for yourself and for the people that you work with in order to do better for yourself and other people and I, I try, I, I say this when I go to anywhere, um, anywhere new, um, I don't particularly like it when people say, oh, we've tried that, it can't be done. You know, that kind of mentality that uh, uh, what is can't be changed. Um, sometimes change is a good thing and needs to be done and needs to happen fast. Um, my old lecturer in philosophy says, used to say, is is not ought and ought is not is so um just because something is the way it is doesn't mean to say it's the way it should be maybe change is necessary and um just because you have this fantastic idea of what things are like doesn't mean to say that that is in reality what things are like so hence um is is not ought and ought is not is uh, and i think that um i i uh 
hope I bring to the table, this openness uh, to change things, to move things forward. When you think about it, the, the um, documentation of our history has been about change. And those few people at each instance saying, actually, we need to do something different. Those brave souls who are in the minority to say we need to change something before then it becomes the, the popular majority opinion. But that's the rate of progress. You need to be open to change. Um, the one thing we all have to check ourselves with, myself inclusive, included, is that um, we all like to say, talk about change, say we're up for change, as long as it doesn't involve me. Well, well, actually, that's part of the issue. All of us have to be open to change and have that readiness to say, yeah, actually, you know, there are things about me that I might need to amend, might need to to look at afresh, might need to get with the times. Um, um, my my myself now is not myself twenty years ago. Well, that's perfect. And that's a good thing. Yeah, which is good. Which is a good thing. You're so basically, you are always evolving. Yes, everyone should commit to that. We have this phrase, lifelong learning. Uh, I think that um, all of us should commit to lifelong learning. That, um, you know... um, you know, the, the, the technology that's changing so rapidly. Um, it, it's, it's a funny thing when with, uh, you, you can tell when you're becoming a crusty and an old person because it's, I'm not going to use that. I don't have no time, no use for that. I'm never going to use that, that kind of attitude. Uh, uh, and funnily enough, now, actually, we've all got our big flat screen TVs yeah. in our houses. We've all got our microwaves. I remember the big fuss about when microwaves first came in. And, you know, I'm not going to use that. That's how now everybody's got the microwave <laughs> and using it. Uh, the way that um, older folk funded against uh, mobile phones, how yeah. they swore they would never use those annoying little devices. Now they've all got their smartphones. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> so, true. No, that's true. You know, we just all of us need to check ourselves to make sure we're not becoming a crusty. I've only got a few more questions for you, Tim, but one of them is define what success means to you as a person, because we all have success in a different way and we all define it in a different way. But what does success mean to you as an individual? I want to be the best that I can be. So that's um, uh, success for me. But being the best that I can be, whilst lifting everybody else up at the same time and hopefully everybody, the greatest number of people having the greatest amount of happiness at the same time. That is success. And it's harder than people imagine. It's very easy to go down the path of it's me, 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 and it's just about me. And as long as I'm happy, everybody else can go to hell in a handcart. Um, I think people will find very quickly, actually, that that doesn't lead to true success or true happiness. But for me, if you can be the best that you can be, achieve as much as you can achieve, whilst at the same time making as many uh, other people happy as possible and helping them to achieve success, then that's much more sustainable and um, hopefully will be good uh, for society. And the other thing is not to put too much pressure on yourself. That's... uh, the thing is, I think I, I spoke before about um, the amount of pressure we put on each other, um, you know, um, pressure to succeed in exams, pressure to find a partner and have the most brilliant relationship, pressure to have the perfect job, pressure to have the perfect family, uh, pressure to make sure your kids don't go off the rails, you know, yeah, it, just true. pressure, 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 pressure. Um uh, rather than people heaping pressure on me, I love the people who help to lighten the load. Yeah, yeah I agree with you there. Totally. Yeah. 
people who want to, you know, make things easier for me, give me a helping hand, people yeah. who want to show that they understand, people who are not trying to make me feel guilty or make me feel like, um, you know, I'm a failure, but people who want to lift me up. That's my, um, my, my sort of um, outlook and determination. If you weren't doing this profession now, what profession do you think you would be doing? So I, I've always wanted to work in broadcasting. Um, I think when I was at school, one of my teachers asked me and I said, I wanted to be rich and famous. Uh, and um, he said, well, that's a tall order for you. <laughs> he said, you only know about religion, uh, race and politics. So how are you going to be rich and famous on that? <laughs> So he was very brutal. Oh wow! Uh, but um, but no, I uh, I I don't know. If I wasn't doing this, um, I actually, funnily enough, I do have an answer for this. Oh. Uh, the I probably surprisingly to people have a lot of respect for politicians, uh, and would probably have entered politics. Okay. And the reason for this is that um, it's easy to do the criticism and stop on the sidelines and to throw bricks at them and say they're dreadful, they're this, they're that. I have a regard for all politicians, pretty much of pretty much all different yeah. parties and views, because these are people who, by and large, at least when they start out, want to make a positive difference in the world. Yeah. They put themselves up in front of the people for election with all that that entails um, because um, if you're not successful and you're not elected, the rebuff is very public. Yes, <laughs> so, most definitely. Uh, they do that. And then on top of that, uh, they know that the scrutiny of themselves, their lives and their families is going to be intense. Uh, and that is not really fair. And it all started from a motivation to try and make things better. Now, on a prosaic front, actually, in terms of making real change, it is the politicians who um, vote in the laws and who control the spend um, in the country. And therefore, it's very useful if you manage to be part of that group because you then can have real uh, impact and authority, even if um, the story normally is that people are going for the right reasons and then either the party machine or outside interests or just naked ambition gets hold yeah. of them and they change. Um, but I do respect the fact that they start out wanting to make a difference and I would have done the same too. Perfect. What would you say to someone? Have you ever been in a position where you wanted to give up? On, on your passion and what you loved. What advice would you give to someone today who is listening to this podcast and and feels like they don't have the support because lack of funds, lack of education? What would you say to them to help push them forward in a positive way to tell them to keep on going? I would say that there um, are a couple of things, really. Um, we can all identify with where you feel like you've given it your best shot. It's been a hard slog. You haven't had huge support. Um, you know, the, the critics are many um, and, and so forth. Uh, and I think you just got to, you know, refocus and center yourself 
uh, and know that you are doing the the right thing. And as I, you know, and I would say that um, there's a great saying that says, "Feel the fear and do it anyway." And I think sometimes you you've got to be knowing that you've been, you know, this has been a hard slog. Um, it's been like wading through treacle. You're not sure you've been making any pro progress, and you know the prospect of failure is is real and looming large. But you just got to feel that fear and do it anyway and keep going. And um, in my church, we um, used to sing this song: "The hotter the battle, the sweeter the victory." And um, I think that there's a I, as a young lad when I used to hear that, I used to think. Gosh, that is such a deep truth. Yeah, it is. The harder the struggle, the tougher it is. If you, when you come out the other side, um, you just think this is fantastic. There's another sort of gospel um, song. Sorry that my whole background is steeped in gospel, but that you know, my soul looked back and wondered how I got over. And it's you know how I got yeah. over. My soul looks back and wonders how I got over. And I think you have to hang on to those kind of things to know that yeah, times will get tough, things will get difficult, um, but persevere, keep working hard at it, um, because when success comes, um, you will feel so much sweeter. You'll enjoy yeah. it all the more because you persevered. And um, you know a lot of people have written great stories about their lives, autobiography that prove that exact point that's perfect Tim finally where can we find you on all your social medias you want to find me I'm trying to duck and dive and avoid no, people no you're not allowed to duck and dive no 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 ducking no diving <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, well I it's, it's uh, I'm I'm on uh, Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on uh, LinkedIn. <laughs> I'm on Facebook. Um, I uh, used to be on Snapchat. Uh, on Snapchat? I'm, hey. I, I tell you, I'm on pretty hey. much every platform because um, uh, because I'm the youngest in my family. Yeah. Uh, amongst the all my brothers and sisters had you know children, and so their children are not too. Um, far away from me in age wow. so they've always come around saying hey Uncle Tim you got to do this this is the latest you got to get on this <laughs> and so because of their youthfulness and their identification with me I'm on pretty much every social media platform you can think of so look me up look at my name and uh, you'll have to pass the vetting process I have to yeah. say because I'm very strict with that if yeah. I don't look, like the look of you you, you you know if your name's not down here you're not coming in <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, you'll have to hope that you pass my vetting process, but if you do, oh, I'd like um, to uh, say, I'd like to say, uh, I'm, I'm glad I kind of did in a way. So thanks, Tim. <laughs> yeah, you passed my vetting process. Yeah. I let you in. So, um, but uh, yeah, um, I think, I, 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 in all seriousness, it's just because sometimes there's a lot yeah, of nonsense no. out there, and no. some people do not mean to do you good; they mean to do you ill. Yes, so that's I, true. I do try and check. You know, is this person okay? Yeah. Are they yeah. wanting to be a positive influence in my life? Okay, they yeah. can come in. No, that's perfect. Tim, I want to thank you so much for coming on the Ask People podcast. You've been a great guest. Thank you. It's um, thank you for allowing me. It's um, uh, been good hooking up with you, and um, I just want to encourage everybody out there: um, be your best self, do your best work, and don't give up. 
Perfect. Thank you so much, guys, for listening to the Us People podcast. And please remember, you can subscribe to Spotify, iTunes, Google Play and any other platform that you prefer to listen to. Please also follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And also remember, you can donate to the Us People podcast by simply going to the Savio Rocks website and also going to paypal.me forward slash Us People podcast. Thank you for listening. Stay happy, stay positive, And as always, please continue to be kind to one another. so good it really you know sis no i just wish you every success and just do what you're doing and doing it well i'm so proud of you really proud of you and um you know you know that you're one of many and hopefully um more young people see what you do and then it grows and it grows and it grows and you know uh, just an explosion of fantastic talent